Welcome to this podcast by Global Church. We are a church planting movement wanting to reach cities from here to everywhere, one to everyone. If you want to find out more information, check out our website on www.globalchurch.co.uk. Come on, let's give the Lord a round of applause. Yay! Now then, for, for those of you that are looking at an impossible situation, I want to just encourage you to believe today. Jesus, when he's, one of his best mates had died, Lazarus, the, the, the sisters came. If you'd only been there, Jesus. And Jesus said, didn't I say that if you would believe, you would see the glory of God? Didn't I say, if you believe, you would see we want to see and then say God's amazing but we've got to stand this side of the miracle and believe when everything outside of us says it's not going to happen everything on the inside of us says it's not going to happen we have the promises of God that if we don't believe only torment us because we're like God says this in his word like I can do anything you're like yeah in Africa in America offer somebody special but this is me and my situation. And does that make, and I know you're busy, God. And it's like, no, stir the impossible in the face today and allow God to lower it in your sight and just saying, but God, God can do absolutely anything. Absolutely anything. When Val and Seth were, were trying for a baby, three years they've been trying, it took one leader with one prayer and they conceived little Billy. How phenomenal is that? Oh, well, there you go. It's like, oh, well, yeah, that's great. Really good. A little Billy was conceived and now he's a young boy. Come on. See, your faith works with expectation. If there's no expectation, Jesus went to Nazareth. He had all the faith in the world. But the Gospels record he couldn't do many miracles there because they didn't believe. Faith rides on the back of expectation if you don't expect if you just say yeah I think God could do it that's just in your head it's got to do the 18 inch drop into your heart so you're saying no God can do actually not only can he do it I'm believing he's gonna do it can you see the shift and the Holy Spirit has to do a move on your heart to, to encourage you and influence you to believe and it's a deposit of expectation so put your hand up today not for more faith but for a greater expectation. If, you need, if you're staring impossibility in the face, put your hand up for the miracle. And I'm going to pray for you. Father, I want to pray for every hand that's raised, mine included, that the impossible situation in front, that mountain in front of us, will be leveled in the name of Jesus. That faith will be released expectation will be all over our lives and we will believe and see the glory of God in everyday situations where the enemy has sought to infiltrate and, and hurt us and damage us and he comes to steal, kill and destroy Jesus said and we stop him here right now right today amongst this group of people called the church and we're saying but faith comes from the church Jesus is with his church and the, mir the, the miraculous from heaven is flowing through us into our situations and so I, I speak it out Lord there is nothing too difficult for you and I ask for a release now of mighty mighty miracles that, that, that defy the mind 
but are alive in the Spirit, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Take a seat. It's good to be back. I nearly peaked too early. I, uh, I, haven't, I haven't preached for, well, I have actually. I preached to Shelley. <laughs> She's asleep within five minutes. But it's good. Um, just to let you know what I'm up to, because otherwise you can say, why is Dave not here? Uh, I'm not here to be a preacher, right? I am a preacher, but I'm not here to be a preacher. My job is to grow leaders, train leaders, release leaders, get them into leadership so that we expand the church. That's more uh, significant than just preaching. That's not to lower preaching. Um, I became a Christian through preaching. That's one of the, that is the best miracle that can happen to anybody. Um, and it's one of the greatest gifts coming into the church. But um, sometimes it's good to be aware so that leaders can get on with things. While I'm here, I'm on the phone. And you don't learn. You learn by making mistakes. And we've got to be a church that can cope with mistakes. You learn by getting it wrong, by trying and getting it wrong. If somebody's there teaching you all the time, you never actually learn anything. It's, not, it's like leaving home. It's not until you leave home, you think, what did my mum say about poaching eggs? <laughs> that's where you learn. You think, I'll have a go. Oh, she used to do it with one hand. Clink, you know. <laughs> <laughs> so it's like, how did, she, how did she do that? So you keep going until eventually it's like you invite your friends around just to show off that you can do it with one hand. <laughs> anyway, enough about my story. <laughs> and I do do a spin and I roll it down there. I don't want to bore you with the details. So... But I, I want to give space to my leaders to breathe and, um, and even collectively the, 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 uh, the core leaders, you know, being able to, to make decisions because I want that decision-making faculty to grow. And I've been in, I, when I was a director of a, a, a parachurch organization, I was the evangelist for them and, and um, I gave over my, my decision-making faculty to my uncle, who, who was leading the things, because he was, he, he was more strategic than I was. He, was. he was great at thinking into the future, whereas I was more immediate. And uh, after 12 years of that, when I left, I couldn't even decide whether I wanted cornflakes or Weetabix. You, you, you know, I'd lost that decision-making faculty. It, nobody's fault, it was just what it was. And so in training leaders, I want them to own decisions and, and, and make decisions, and then, if they're right, to celebrate because in church, if, we get, if I get it right, God gets the glory. If I get it wrong, I get done. <laughs> no, I get, I get everyone going, oh, well, that's pathetic. Dave's pathetic. And uh, I want a church that celebrates leaders when they get it right. Yeah. As well as giving God the glory. I don't want to take anything from God. You know that. But, but um, if we're not careful, we miss the human side of life. And I want us to have the fullness of life. Yeah. Um, and so uh, I don't want to keep getting involved in detail stuff. I'm extracting myself on purpose. Why? Because me and Shelley are spearheading a movement. Yeah. And we need to be here, there, and everywhere. And so, you know, that's, that's one of the things. That's the main thing that I'm up to, to be fair. Um, uh, Shelley and I are going with Andy and Anna on uh, Wednesday to, uh, where is it we're going? Latvia. We're going to Latvia. Where is that on God's earth? Anyway, we're going there. Uh, and, and we're going to a conference that I would have only dreamed of being, you have to be invited to go to this conference. And, uh, you know, we've gone for, for a while. And it's run by a man called Scott Wilson. And he's the guy that ordained me. And uh, he's a great fellow. He's an Australian. So they're as straight as we are up in the north. So it's very good. And they get about six speakers up to do five minutes. 
because what they don't want is anecdotes and funny, funny men like me. They don't want that. They want principles that work yeah. in church growth. Yeah. And so uh, I'm going to look at how do you grow a community? So with a wine bar, of course, you know, <laughs> key. So, um, so yeah, um, that's just a, a, a sort of a, an update. There's personal things going on. We've moved out, we bought an house in France, and oh, you don't want to bore you with them kind of details. All you people that helped us to move, them six million people, thank you very much. <laughs> You've ruined the furniture. <laughs> so, so today, very briefly, what I want us to do is, we, our reach as a church is far greater than our numbers. Our reach into this city is far greater than our numbers. And people know us. And if everybody that we knew and were, that liked what we were up to had to come to church on a Sunday, I think we'd be in the thousands, I do. Our reach is far greater. And sometimes, especially when you go to churches and big churches, you can get disillusioned because you think, well, what about us? Well, welcome to my world. I've been asking that question for 30 odd years, and me. <laughs> People get up and they speak. I've watched them being youth leaders, and then they have a church of 4,000. Dang. <laughs> and me. God can do, God can do anything. I'm thinking, I know, except grow my church. <laughs> you know? But I'm sure, I'm sure he can do that at some stage. No, there are things that we learn, and I think we have to, we're not chasing numbers, you've got to get over that, and what you've got to do is you've just got to do what you're supposed to do, yeah. Yeah. And, uh, and we've got to get on with that. So there's a church in Norwich that's 4,000 in number, and they've become 4,000 in less than 10 years. There's a church in a Swedish city, I forget what it's called now, Swedes are so forgettable. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I've just had a bad experience with Ikea, you know. <laughs> They represent Ikea. Um, and they're 4,000. And their cities are the same size as York, are smaller. Wow. And what that's done for me, it's challenged me, but it's more than that, it's inspired me. Yeah. And I'm thinking, there's a figure yeah. to go for. Yeah. I've been going for 1,000. Let's, let's grow it. Yeah. And let's grow the heart of our church to say, you know, because I know that in your hearts, we are a church of thousands. Yeah. We've always said that. We've always wanted big we don't want small, but you have to start small. Yeah. Don't despise the day of small beginnings, yeah. the Bible says. Whether it's a business, whether it's a marriage. You know, sometimes you can start a marriage and you compare your marriage, chapter one, introduction, sorry, introduction, with somebody's chapter 10. You know, and wife's going, why can't, why can't you be so attentive and caring like, like he is? We've been Superman there, right? And it's like, what do you mean? <laughs> I put my arm around you. What's all over you? And it's like, it's like, what does she want? I don't know what she wants. Oh, yes, it's getting close, Tom. It's getting very close. <laughs> you know what I'm on about. <laughs> so, so don't compare your introduction to somebody's yeah. chapter 10 yeah. because you'll feel like an absolute failure. And... Um, Anyway, I don't know why I got onto that. I just get all, all concerned every now and again. It just moves on me. Let's get back to numbers. 4,000 in Norwich, 4,000 in a Swedish city. And uh, that's the church. Our church, York, 150. Challenged, but inspired. Our reach is far greater than our size. But we must learn to move our... Um, we've got like 
uh, tentacles, sorry, going into the city. <laughs> we have got tentacles. I correct myself. Sorry, it's a Sunday as well. We've got, we've got big tentacles going into the city. But what needs to happen is the power of God needs to move down those relational networks. Because it's the power of God that would change people's lives. It's not just our love and friendship. Our love and friendship will support people. It will make them feel good, and that's right. It will, it will strengthen them, hopefully. But what's the point in doing all that if, it, if eternally they're lost forever? And so I want both. I don't want either or. I don't just want to preach to people and not care. I want to care, but I do want to let them know that there is a God who can deal with the guilt. People are guilty. Do you know that? People, we've just had the races uh, this weekend. I wonder how many people have gone on with guilt, and not just guilt, but with shame. And we don't think that. We think, oh, I wish I could go to races. Wish I could wear one of them hats. Shelley said, you can't, Dave, you're a bloke. So, no, but number two problem, you've nowhere. Dang. So, anyway, I can wear the high heels, which I'm quite happy with. I wonder how many people are going to go on with regrets and shame that they've had affairs. That the thing they've been cooking with their mind, the thing they've been playing with with their mind has just happened this weekend in York, in our city, and it hasn't delivered the goods. And they're going on thinking, I hope I don't get found out. Who saw me at the races? Yeah? When I say saw me, it's not me. <laughs> it's, not, it's not me. But I'm just saying, people have guilt. People have shame. People have lost purpose. People have lost family. They're hurting. See, what's the answer to all this? Well, if the answer to all this is just good social work, let's, just, let's all become good social workers. Or good psychologists. Or good carers. We see none of that will take us into, it, in, into an eternal heaven. It will only keep us on the path that leads to destruction. And so what, what needs to go down our relational networks is the power of God. What is the power of God? I'm glad, glad you asked. Let's have the first scripture up. It says, for I am, Paul in Romans chapter 1 verse 16, for I am not ashamed of the gospel, never be ashamed of it. When people mock you and say, don't be ashamed of the gospel. You have nothing to be ashamed of. You have everything to be proud of. I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone. Say everyone. everyone. That's God's art. He wants everybody to experience his power to save us from our sins and our guilt and our shames, all the ramification that comes off the back of us being sinful and estranged from God and his life. It is the power of God that brings salvation to everyone who believes, first to the Jew, then to the Gentile. For in the gospel, a righteousness of God is revealed, a righteousness that is by faith, not by good works, not by being a good boy or a good girl, not by going to church, not by saying, I don't swear anymore, I don't drink anymore. Or as Cliff Richard sang, we don't talk anymore. Anyway. <laughs> All the kind of negatives about how we put Christianity out for years. I don't, I don't, I don't. I don't gamble, I don't smoke, I don't drink, I don't, I don't, I don't, I don't. Negative life. Yeah? yeah? But there's a righteousness from God. Instead of us saying, right, now I'm, I'm going to do this and I'm going to do that. No, no, no. You don't have to do a dang thing. You just have to believe. Yeah. All the hard work was done by Jesus 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away. Not just when he died on the cross, but when he lived the life and re 
and refused to give in to temptation. He's the strongest man who ever lived. He's the greatest leader that ever lived. He's awesome. He is, he is God um, decanted into a man. Brilliant. Do you like that word, decant? It's a beautiful word. We've been decanting a five-bedroom home into a two-bedroom flat. Decanting. Every time I'm picking furniture up and stuff like that. All right, telling people to pick furniture up. I'm thinking, we're decanting. I'm thinking, that's what God did in Christ. The fullness of God dwelt in Christ, the apostle Paul wrote. So when you get Jesus, he's like God's app for everything that God is. That was my attempt (laughs) to be culturally relevant to the next generation. They all went, what? (laughs) Probably got it wrong. Uh, uh, Sorry. Anyway, I am not ashamed of the gospel. Why? Because it's the power of God. You want to release the power of God onto your friends, share the gospel. I had a guy come around the other day, uh, a utility guy, and he's he's sorting some things out in in my flat for me, and I'm, I just started talking to him, what do you do? So I said, I have properties. That's me opening line. Oh, smart, I love properties. I said, well, I'd loved them for years, you know. Now I hate them. Um, but as we were talking, I just said, it's not the only thing I do. I said, I'm a church planter. He goes, what's one of them? I said, well, you know, if you plant a tree, you start, you know, you start with the seed and stuff. I said, it's the same when you're planting a church. Don't think of church as a building. Think of it as people. So another word would be a community. He goes, I get community. I said, but it's a community with a difference. It's a community where there's a king. We don't live in a democracy. We live in a kingdom. And the king is the king of our lives. He said, that sounds a bit deep. I said, it's very deep, very profound. And I said, but so easy to access. So easy to access. It'll take you a lifetime. And even then you won't scratch the surface of how profound it is. But God in Christ makes salvation available to us. He takes the complex and makes it simple. And I'm glad because I'm a simple person. We want to win our friends to Christ, but not in a weird way, not in an awkward way, not in a socially uh, um, uncomfortable way. But you know what? We've done all the hard work. We've built the bridge of friendship to people. Now we've got to walk over that bridge and announce the good news. Not be preachy, preachy, but announce the good news. Honestly, when this guy's sorting me, me television out and stuff, he says, Dave, he said, I've got to go into the other room to fix the other thing for you. Uh, and he said, but keep talking. So I did. <laughs> and, uh, and I followed him around the apartment, just talking. And at the end of it, I said, would you read a book if I gave you a book? And he said, I would. He's 40 years old. And he said, he said, there's conversations like this that have come into my life. And he said, and there's something more meaningful about them. And I don't, can't put my finger on it. Do you ever get them? And I said, yes, I do. And he said, it's just like now and again. I said, I get them all the time. I said, because God's with me. And I said, and people, it's not an accident that you're the one. Through all the phone calls, I don't want to bore you with the detail and the pains I get in my chest. <laughs> but I'm trying to get a job done. I'm a bloke. I want to get the job done and get off that job. And then they put me onto another person. Hi, can we just go through your, um, you know, your standard questions again? You know, we've got a security. I said, I don't care. Let them hack me. I don't care. I don't want to give you my date of birth again for the 900th time. Just let me go. But anyway. You get through everything. And I'm muttering and mumbling and grumbling, thinking, utilities that they are, they are pathetic. All this phoning and you've got eight options and stuff like that. It's like going to a Chinese restaurant. I don't know. Five, one, four. Just give me that. (laughs) Anyway. (laughs) 
Share me pain. But you know, through all that hassle, God was getting the right person into my flat. And he took two books off me, and I give him a Why Jesus as well. I said, you might have a third one. <laughs> you know, it's like three, three buses come all at once. Anyway, there's a principle there. So I, so I gave him to him. He said, I'll give him you back when I've read him. I said, no, give him to somebody else. And he goes, no, I'll, I'll, I'll give him you back. And I thought, good, uh, because I'd like another conversation with him. I may just be a link in a chain, but do you know what? I shared my story of how I became a Christian, yeah. and he got it. He said, you speak in my language. So we just, just, just got in with him. And then even last Friday night, me and John were out, weren't we? But we just had a few cheeky ones in the building and then went round to Kennedy's. And a guy came and stood outside of me and he, just chat, he started chatting to me, 10 o'clock at night. I said, are you at the races? He says, no, I'm, I'm, uh, he said, I'm on a stag do. I said, oh, headache, stuff tomorrow for you. You know, we're just chatting. And, uh, and he, I, I says, where are you from? He says, I'm from Portsmouth. I said, before I could even think, who's ever, ever done this? Before I could even think, I went, it's a brilliant church in Portsmouth. He <laughs> looked at me as though I were an alien that had just landed. I said, it's a brilliant church in Portsmouth called the King's Church. I said, they sometimes call it the Family Church by a great guy called Andy Elms. I said, you should go there. And he went, do you know, I'm going to a christening soon. I said, good on you, mate. And, and you were just chatting, and I just thought, I'm getting, I'm just more determined to share my faith wherever I go. Yeah. In the past, I used to do it and wind everyone up, but now I'm more like a, uh, what is it, like a, an eat-seeking missile. You know, I just know where to go these days rather than just, <laughs> I'm a bit more sensitive. <laughs> but do you know my mate that's a pastor in, in Portsmouth? He says, yeah. I said, I'm a pastor as well. And he goes, are you? I said, I am, but don't interrupt me just for this moment in time. <laughs> So, honestly, it's so good to be yourself and to be confident. But you know, at some stage, we need to learn to share our faith. The reason I tell you that story about this guy, and I did say, could you get me and John a drink? You, you know, I thought, we'll really put the nail in the coffin. But, um, but because this guy said, I'm from Portsmouth, if he said, I'm from Plymouth, I don't know anybody in Plymouth that's a church leader. It just happened to be Portsmouth. And it just it bubbled out. And sometimes that's the Holy Spirit. It's not like he takes over and you don't know what you're doing, but sometimes it's just there. And it was. And so, you know, we crack on. And if it had been from York, we could have been building with him, maybe. But from somewhere else, we're a blessing. And there's a difference between being a blessing and actually building. Blessing is where you just do kind to somebody, but building is where you build people in. They're in your world. You're giving them time and energy and effort. Okay. The Bible says this, the fruit of the righteous is a tree of life and he who wins souls is wise. He who wins souls. What is your soul? It's your mind, your emotions and your will. And it's like heart and mind. That's what, what we were sold as a nation when we went into the Iraq war and different things, went into Kuwait to go and help out there. It was arts and minds, arts and minds. What were, what, what, what were the army and, and our governments trying to do? They were trying to win our souls. They weren't trying to win us to Christ. They were trying to win our souls. And that's what this means. It doesn't mean winning people to Christ. It means winning the souls, winning with people, helping them to get you. When they get you, they'll get Jesus. There's a chance, I should say, that they get Jesus. When they don't get you, if you don't win with people, they're not going to get your Jesus now. You know what I'm saying? If you're obnoxious, if you can't be bothered, if you just preach, if you're God Almighty or whatever, they're not going to get it. Or if you're that, that humble that you can't even 
ask for a drink. You know, it's like, what would you like to drink? What are you? I'm just quiet. Just lie down and let me walk over you, please. <laughs> That's what they think. They've got to see something. Don't tell people Jesus has come to give us life and demonstrate anything but. It's not that we all have to be loud. Not at all. You've got to be yourself. You've got to walk in your lane. Don't copy somebody else. I've, I've copied everybody. I've been an Elvis impersonator for years. <laughs> anyway. Here we go. How did they do it? How did they do it? Let me take you back to the ancient text. Let me take you back to how, how, so how did the early church, how did the disciples do it? You know, the 12. John's gospel. The next day, John, that is John the Baptist, was there again at the Jordan River with two of his disciples. When he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard him say this, they followed Jesus. They left him to follow Jesus. Turning around, Jesus saw them following and asked, what do you want? Brilliant in conversation, Jesus. What do you want? Getting right to the heart of the matter. It's so plain, and yet we never said that. We just think, the, the following, uh, I'm just too polite to ask anything. What do you want? But it wasn't like, what do you want? It's like, what do you want? He's asking them the question. They said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you will see. And that's like a Middle Eastern wave of hospitality and stuff. So they went and they, they saw where he was staying and they spent the day with him. You know, Jesus had his own house. I don't know whether you know that, but anyway. Um, into property. Um, they spent the afternoon with him. It was about four in the afternoon. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, see, Simon Peter was the firstborn. Andrew was the secondborn. They're usually a bit quieter. Not always, but usually a bit quieter. Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, was one of the two who heard what John said and who had followed Jesus. The first thing Andrew did, everyone said first thing. The first thing Andrew did was to find his brother Simon and tell him, we have found the Messiah, that is the Christ. And he brought him to Jesus. Everyone said brought him. So the first thing he did was telling him the good news about the Messiah, and then he brought his brother to him. Yes? There's an urgency, but there's a naturalness to it. And that's how I want us to be as global. That the, the thunder of judgment there is going on in our hearts, and we're, it terrifies us, and we're looking, and we're thinking, they're lost. So we have a motivation to go and reach people with the message of Christ. But, but, but tinged with that is the naturalness that says... Come to church. Come to connect. Come to a, a, a dinner party. Come for a drink. Come for a coffee. And, and invite them into a place where they can find faith. Invite them for a drink. Invite them to, to a, a bar where you're inviting your friends from church. But take credible ones. Don't take the incredible ones. Yeah. <laughs> take people that you know they're going to give a good account of themselves. Yeah. And... Um, because you can get some people. I, I remember just being in a bar once. I'm not always in bars, but um, <laughs> I was in this bar once and uh, just, just talking. And this guy came up and said to somebody, uh, do you believe in God? Never spoken to this person ever before. 
just walked right up. But he thought, because I was there, he wanted to prove that he was red hot with the gospel. First thing he said to this person was, do you believe in God? And they said, no. Well, I don't know. Do you know? And they started to wonder. He goes, well, if you don't, you're going to hell. <laughs> right. So I started, and I went, get you. And I said, what, what are you like? You know, I just pushed him, wanting to push him a little bit more. <laughs> get you. I said, I said, do it. You know, do we actually kiss on the first date? I don't know what happens on the first date, but sometimes, you know, this communication goes on. And I'm trying to lighten the thing up, thinking, not. So Andrew, very naturally, just told his brother about, I found, we found the Messiah, we found Jesus. For us, we wouldn't say, I found the Messiah. That's silly. That means nothing to them. It's like saying, I found release from guilt and shame. I found forgiveness. Yeah. I found purpose. Yeah. I found my mojo. I've got my mojo back. What's your story? For me, I found forgiveness from a guilty heart and a condemning mind. And my sin and my shame dissolved. That's, so that's been my message wherever I go. But there's more to it because when that happens, you get peace in your heart. And I'm a more peaceful person. And when you've got peace in your heart, that facilitates joy to flow. So I have more joy in my life. Can you see it? I've, I've, I've worked on this, but I've analysed myself and thinking, what has the gospel done for me, the power of God? And it's put me back in touch with my creator. So every resource I'm going to need in this world is in God. That's why he called himself, I am. Yeah. What do you mean I am? He says, I am whatever you need me to be. Yeah. I am. You need me to be a bridge over troubled water, I'll be that bridge. You need to be a financial get-out clause. I'll be your financial get-out. You want me to be somebody who finds you a great job? I'll, I'll be that to you. But he's not a bellboy. He's a king. Yeah. But you see, when you come and give your life to the king, he's a king, unlike Satan. Satan's a king, but he's a bad one. The king in the New Testament, Jesus Christ, cursed so much for his subjects that he will lay down his life for them. True servant leadership. I defy any politician to do that. Let me give you one more scripture. How did they do it? The ancient text is telling us how they did it then, and it hasn't changed. The way hasn't changed. I'll tell you why. Because people are still the same today. People have not changed. We all have hopes and dreams and aspirations. And Jesus doesn't just want to forgive us our sins. He wants to lead us into our hopes and our aspirations. People want to get married. People want to make money. That's a really good thing, you know, making money. You thought I was going to mention marriage. <laughs> making money is a really good thing. Why am I saying that? It's because it's been put down for so long in the church. And yet God says, in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verse 18, I have given you the ability to create wealth. If it was a bad thing to go and create wealth, he wouldn't give us the, the gifts and the power to do that. But he has done so we need to take charge of our money. We need to handle it well, not just fritter it all away. Why? Because we're meant to build with what we've got. Yeah. So I'm just saying. Whatever it is that you've got in your life, if it's not sinful and it's not illegal, you're about to get God's big yes on it. See, God doesn't say you can't do this, you can't do that. He's always leading you in paths of righteousness, yeah. paths yeah. that are good, yeah. that are right that are honourable, that are good for you. And your past different from mine. But we should all be becoming more and more fulfilled. Why? Because God is at the centre of it all, leading us and guiding us by his Holy Spirit. It's just brilliant. 
The plan of salvation is amazing the more you get to know it. So let me give you this story and then we're finished. When a Samaritan woman, Samaritans were like half Jew, half Gentile, so they were known as like, in those days, they would be known as a half breed. They weren't, they weren't royal blood. They'd been contaminated by the Gentile blood. When a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? He'd been preaching, he'd been traveling, he's tired, he's hungry and he's thirsty. In brackets, it says his disciples had gone into the town to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, Samaritan woman. So, you know, Jewish men would not talk to a woman in, in, on, on their own like this. And a Jew would not associate with a Samaritan. Jesus is crossing social norms in order to reach somebody. That's why I've gone back into the bars and the pubs and the clubs. I know it's not a social norm necessarily for churches, but for my church it is. And we're crossing them kind of social norms. And we're hanging out with people that you wouldn't necessarily hang out with. Well, they've got a reputation. I were even told yesterday, oh, be careful of that fella. He'll give you a bad reputation. What did they call Jesus? A friend of? There we go. You don't get that reputation by leading Sunday school picnics, do you? No, 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 no. It's where you're mixing it with everyday people. And accepting them where they're at, not where you want them to be at. And so I'd love some people's lives to be more together so that when I, I'm around them, you're not like, ooh, that were, a bit, that were a bit more. That joke was just too bad. It was just too bad. And I live with all that. And then people look at me like I'm with him. I'm not talking about John now. <laughs> but, you know, they, they look and they just think, well, you're just an ignoramus like that big mouth that you're with. And it's like, no, I'm not. But I'm on a mission from God. I want to win the lost. I'm around them. You know what friend of sinner means? At one with sinners. At one with them. Not like, well, no, no, no. At one with them. We're together. Warts and all. That's not a great term, is it? The Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I am a Samaritan woman. Problem. How can you ask me for a drink? For Jews do not associate with Samaritans. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that asks you for a drink, you would, have, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman replied, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can, where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself? As did also his sons and his livestock. She's trying to show some pedigree here in God's lineage of, of great people. Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks the water I give them will never thirst. He talked about living water. He put an adjective there. This isn't just H2O. This is living water. And he said they will never thirst again. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. Or in other words, a spring on the inside. When you've lost your mojo, this will start involuntary it'll just start welling up and you'll be like I can go again when everything in you wants to give up there's a a freshness and an energy and a drive that's not from you it's from the living water that Jesus gives sir give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water she's not quite getting it he told her Go call your husband. Now he's got her attention. Really and truly. She's really wanting this living water. 
Go and call your husband. You think, Jesus, where are you going with this? I'll tell you where he's going. The Holy Spirit has just sent a message to Jesus. It's a word called a word of knowledge in the Bible. And he's given Jesus a word of knowledge about her life that he didn't know about prior to that. That same word of knowledge is open to us when we're talking to people. And he got a word of knowledge. So he said, go call your husband. I have no husband, she replied. Jesus said to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. The fact is, you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have said is quite true. She must have been like, who the heck are you? How do you know these things about me? Well, it's direct from the Holy Spirit. Jesus had the Holy Spirit without limit and he's promised the same Holy Spirit to every believer. How amazing is that? Our ancestors worshipped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. You Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know, for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and has now come when the true worshippers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth. For they are the kind of worshippers the Father seeks. God is spirit, and his worshippers must worship in spirit and in truth. The woman said, I know that Messiah, called Christ, is coming. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus declared, I, the one speaking to you, I am he. It's one of the rarest places in the Bible where Jesus is really explicit about who he is. Just then his disciples returned and were surprised to find him talking with a Samaritan woman. And, uh, and, and, but not, none of them asked. They didn't dare ask, you know, what do you want? Or why, why are you talking to this woman? Um, and it says then the woman leaving her water jar, the woman went back to the town. And what did she do? She said to the people, she's taking a message to the people. She's already got tentacles into the village. But now she's going to, the power of God's just about to go down them tentacles, yeah? She's going to now tell them about, I've met, come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Imagine the whole, the whole town going, what, another one? <laughs> Number seven? <laughs> He's like, you're man mad. And she was. The term for her would be um, Baal something. She, she was just man mad. Couldn't live without a man. It, she, it was a worship that came out of her. She was just man mad. There's loads of women like that in our nation. They need Jesus. Yeah. We take it as read that men are women mad, and we've all had that, you know, but I mean, I'm just saying. Come and see the man who told me everything I ever did. Could this be the Messiah? They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, his disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. My food, Jesus said. See, his disciples were all just sorting themselves out. Jesus said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish the work. Don't you have a saying? It's still four months until harvest. I tell you, open your eyes and look at the fields. They are ripe for harvest. Even now the one who reaps draws a wage and harvests a crop for eternal life so that the sower and the reaper may be glad together. Thus the saying, one sows and another reaps is true. I sent you to reap what you have not worked for. Others have done the hard work 
and you have reaped the benefits of their labor. Many of the Samaritan towns, Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. Many, everyone said many. many. We're nearly finished, but many from that town believed in Jesus because, not in spite of, but because of this sinful woman with a bad reputation, probably a tooth missing there. You know, she's, she's anyway, her testimony about Jesus was used by Almighty God to convince many in that town. There was church growth there. Yeah? yeah? So much so that um, this was the testimony. They came out of the town and made their way toward him. Meanwhile, the disciples urged him, Rabbi, eat something. My oh, yeah, sorry, I'm going on the wrong one. Um, and because... Here we go. He told me everything I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they urged him to stay with them and they stayed and he stayed two days. Imagine people saying, don't go, stay. That they actually want you to go. You know, the guy, you know, putting me Sky TV in the other day, you know, for, for him to, to say, keep talking to me. That's just another way of saying, don't stop. I'm interested in what you're saying. It's unusual. They said this. We no longer believe just because of what you said. Now we have heard for ourselves and we know that this man really is the saviour of the world. I'm going to finish there, but just saying God uses ordinary people like you and me. Yeah. And it's not enough if we're going to grow a church. If, because it's not just about us becoming 4,000. It's about 4,000 people being changed by the power of God. Yeah. That's the emphasis. And it's an headache to have 4,000 people in your church. It's an headache. See, it's an headache growing church, but it's a bigger headache if there's 4,000. It's even bigger if there's 10,000. But I'm just saying um, that, that it's important for us to not just share our lives, but to share our faith. In the New Testament, it's interesting, Paul said, we didn't just share our faith, but we shared our lives. That was the emphasis. And if I had time, I would take you to Acts um, Acts chapter uh, 5, verse 28 and verse 42, it says, we gave you strict orders not to teach in, his, in this name, the name of Jesus. And uh, yet you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching. Another verse says, day after day in the temple courts and from house to house, they never stop teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Messiah. And the church, he said, grew to 3,000 on the day of Pentecost. 5,000 men came to Christ in another uh, uh, part of the Bible and it's like the gospel spread like wildfire in the early church just by ordinary individuals like you and me not just being kind and helpful to people but sharing the faith and saying things like do you believe leave it with them do you believe in God and listen do, do listen and try and shape a conversation do you know do you know whether you go to heaven if there's such a place did you, did you know that you've got to make a choice between heaven or hell? Did you know, did you know that that's, that's like where we're, where we're all destined to go? Broad is the, the road that leads to destruction and many are there that walk on it. Narrow is the road that leads to eternal life and few are there that walk on it. That's what Jesus said. Two roads. This morning, there's two roads. Which road are you on? Sticking with the crowd? Finding like, uh, well, everybody can't be wrong. Yes, they can. They really can. Narrow is the road. If you think of a, a road that's leading that way, broad, everybody's going that way, and then 
a, a narrow road within that broad road walking the other way. People going, what are you doing? You need to come this way. You're a fucking idiot. You're Christian, there's no such thing as God. Why is there all suffering in this world? And they're trying to get you to turn around and we just keep going saying, I don't have the answers, but I know this, Christ. God came in, in, into history in Jesus Christ and he's forgiven me my sins. He's met my needs. He's as real to me as, as, as you standing there. You don't have to be clever. You don't have to be intellectual. It's none of that. It's just sharing what has God done for you. You can only give what you've got. Today, I give everybody in this room Jesus Christ because I have him in my heart by his Holy Spirit and I know him personally and you can know him too. Let's bow our heads. Every week, we give people an opportunity to give their life to Jesus Christ. The biggest decision you'll ever make. Most profound decision you'll ever make. It's the most powerful, life-transforming decision you'll ever make. And it's so simple. You make a step of faith and just say, I mean, I want in, Lord. And we make it easy just by saying, if you want to give your life to Christ today and know his forgiveness, know the reconciliation that comes between uh, you and the Heavenly Father, know peace with God. If that's you today, I'm going to invite you just to raise your hand where you are. Don't worry about other, other people. Don't even worry about, your, oh, I don't know enough. You do, you know enough to make a, a decision to say, if there's a God, Jesus, I'm, I'm, I'm with you. Amen. You just raise your hand and we get to know more and more as we go along. Maybe you've been belonging before you believe, but today's the day where you believe and you receive forgiveness and all the goodness of God. Don't want to draw it out, but if that's you, you just raise your hand where you are. Brilliant. That's, that's, I see that hand there. Anybody else that we can help this morning? There's no pressure except the pressure of opportunity coming your way and you either take it or you don't. Is there anybody else that we can help this morning? just want to pray. Father, for those that raised their hand this morning, I want to pray for the, your power to come upon them to forgive them the sins, dissolve any guilt, any shame, any remorse. And I pray, Lord, for peace in the heart and the assurance that they, they, that they know you and that you know them. And I pray that you'll put a hunger in the heart to know you more and to tell others in Jesus' name. Amen. And for the rest of us, I'd like us, uh, in one sense, to close our eyes, but raise our hands and say, God, use me to reach other people. Not to be a preacher to them, but to go and reach them. Father, I want to pray for the power of your Holy Spirit to come upon us in a new way as a church, where there's a new boldness, a great naturalness about us in sharing our faith, in presenting Christ to people, just announcing what Jesus has done for us and giving people an opportunity. Do you want to believe? Can I pray with you to give your life to Christ? Just saying these, dropping these huge bombs, but doing it so naturally. Fill us with your Holy Spirit, Lord. Use us. And I pray that we'll become increasingly more effective in this city at spreading your word. In Jesus' name, amen. From the team here at Global Church, thank you for listening to this podcast. Please check out our other messages available on the website 